Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me this morning to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4 as we continue our study in this incredible book. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have daughters? How many of you have granddaughters? Have you ever wondered what God has planned for their lives? What He wants them to do as part of His divine plan? Will there be teachers? Will they be doctors, government officials, the president of the United States? What will they be? Will they be wives? Will they be mothers? Or or perhaps God's plan is for them to be both. Perhaps God's plan is for them to influence not only their homes, but for them to influence their world. As we move into Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5, we discover the next judge that God uses to deliver Israel. But we discover that this next judge is, is not the person that we would expect. As a matter of fact, there are probably some that have a problem with this judge because the hero, the judge that God is going to use to deliver Israel is not a man. It's a woman whose name is Deborah. But as we read this story, we discover that Deborah is a woman that every godly father should be praying that his daughter or daughters will grow up to be like. She is a woman who loves the Lord intimately, is gifted spiritually, is full of wisdom. And yet she is a woman who has her priorities in order. Now, as we read through these two chapters, we discover that that both of these chapters... Tell the same, same story. One, one chapter, chapter 4, tells us the story from a historical perspective. Chapter 5 tells us the story in the form of a song. But both are equally true. And both give us details that we need to understand if we're going to know the heart of God and His plan for men, His plan for women, and His plan for the world. And so what I want us to do this morning is read this story from Judges chapter 4. And then I want to share with you what I believe are are six timeless truths that we learn from this passage. So Judges chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, After he whose death the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. Now if you ever saw that movie Groundhog Day, the book of Judges is Groundhog Day. Because over and over and over again, God delivers his people, and yet the people return to evil, and they are again put into bondage, and God again delivers his people, and they're put into bondage, and God again delivers his people, and they're put into bondage. So we see this over and over again. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Now, we've already talked about iron chariots. And remember that the iron chariots were the tanks of their day. And an army with iron chariots could absolutely destroy an army of foot soldiers. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Now notice what it says next. Deborah, the wife of Labadoth, 
was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day, she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. And then God is speaking here. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulon at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. Now, right here, we think that he is talking about Deborah, but he's not. So Deborah went out with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Aphtili, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. Now, in Heber, the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zenanan near Kadesh. Now, you're probably wondering, why in the world is that there? Well, we're going to see that in a few minutes. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Harasheth to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day... The Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Harasheth, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and, and covered him again. Stand at the door, he said. If anybody comes and asks if there is is anyone here, say no. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground. And so he died. And then she went outside and yelled, nailed it. Not really. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. She said, come and I will show you the man you're looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with the tent peg through his temple. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. So what can we learn from this story about men and women and and God's plan? Six things. First of all. Women are just as gifted and capable as men. Let me say that again. Women are just as gifted and capable as men. 
In verse 4, we are told that, that Deborah is a prophet. And she is the judge of Israel. The word there for judge, in some translations, is translated lead. It's the same word that God uses in Judges chapter 2, verse 18, when he says that God will raise up judges who will judge his people. Now, there are some today who have this idea that women are to sit at home, they're to cook meals, they're to clean the house, they're to raise the kids, and they're to keep quiet. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with staying at home. And, and believe me, there's nothing wrong with you staying quiet at times if you want to. There's nothing wrong with that at all. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that, that it is a noble thing to stay at home. And yet, you need to understand that the Bible never teaches that you have to. As a matter of fact, as you read through the Bible, you will notice some incredible women using their gifts, their abilities, and their calling to fulfill God's purpose in amazing ways. Women like Miriam, the sister of Moses, Anna, uh, the four daughters of, of Philip, they were all prophets who spoke for God. There was Priscilla who helped teach and mentor Apollos, who became a, a great preacher of the faith. There was Dorcas who used her gifts and abilities in sowing to minister to the church. There was Phoebe that is, that is mentioned in Romans 16 as a deacon or a servant of the church. There is Lydia who was that businesswoman, the seller of purple, who opened up her house to Paul and Silas and they used her home to start an incredible church. Some of the, the greatest teachers in Christianity today are powerful women of faith. I think about women like Ann Graham Lotz. Kay Arthur, Priscilla Shire, and, and Beth Moore. Most men or women will never grow to the place where they have the level of influence that these women have. And that's okay. That's okay for, for women because, you see, it's okay for a woman if she feels like her job, her task is to work behind the scenes, faithfully loving her family, faithfully encouraging neighbors, faithfully drying the tears of, of a child. All through the Bible, we discover that God chooses to work through women who, who are everyday women to get his job done. Now, let's go back to Deborah. The Bible says that she was both a prophet and a judge. As a prophet, Deborah spoke for God. That's what a prophet did. As a judge, she gave guidance to God's people. As a prophet, she proclaims God's word. As a judge, she provides leadership. The Bible says that they came to Deborah under the palm of Deborah to get counsel, to get advice, to gain leadership, much like they did with Moses in Exodus 18. You can go back to that passage and you can see how the people were coming to Moses to, to have him settle their, their squabbles, their disputes, to gain advice and counsel. And it seems to indicate that that they were doing the same thing with Deborah this day. In a very real sense, Deborah functioned as the civil, judicial, and spiritual leader of God's people during this dark period. I would be amiss, however, 
if I didn't tell you that this wasn't the norm. It wasn't the norm in Israel. It wasn't the norm in the pagan countries around Israel. And yet God chose Deborah for this purpose. What that tells me is God isn't as concerned about looking at our anatomy as he is choosing us for a task as he is looking at our heart as he is choosing us for a task. Now, some say the the only reason that God chose Deborah is because there were no men who were capable to lead at that time. And, And yet the scripture never indicates that. It simply tells us that she was a prophet who was judging Israel. This story, as much as any in the Bible, gives us God's perspective on the role of women. Women don't have to sit back and do nothing. Women are just as gifted and just as capable as men, and they should use their gifts and abilities for God's glory. Now, with that said, the view that has permeated our society today that a woman can do anything a man can do. The view that dismisses gender differences is wrong. You see, the Bible teaches that from the beginning, God made them male and female. God created us both in the image of God, and yet God uniquely made us different with roles to play in his divine scheme. You see, God has made us in such a way that men and women are to complement one another with the gifts and the abilities that God has given us. And there are certain roles that that God wants a woman to play, and there are certain roles that God wants a man to play. When we look at the Old Testament, for instance, we discover that there were three primary roles in Israel. There was the role of the prophet, the role of the priest, And the role of the king or the judge. We see Deborah fulfilling two of these roles. She was both a prophet and she was a judge. We see Miriam, the sister of Moses, was a prophet. We see others that were prophets in the Old Testament. And yet when we look at the Old Testament, we discover that the role of priest was set aside exclusively for men. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, The Old Testament tells us that women are equal in value, dignity, and ability, created as they are in God's image and given a dominion over all of creation. It also shows that women are free to use their gifts in any role but that of priests. Women are equal, but they are not equivalent. Now, when we go to the New Testament, we see women serving in a variety of roles And yet there are two roles that are set apart exclusively for men. The one is debated among Bible-believing, Bible-teaching evangelicals, and that is the role of deacon. There are some churches that say that only men are to be deacons. There are others that believe the Bible who hold strongly to the Word of God as the inerrant Word that say no, any gender can be a deacon. But then there is the role also of the elder. And the Bible is quite clear in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that that role of the elder, God set apart exclusively for a man. Now, you may say, why? And there is a biblical reason for that. It has nothing to do with women being um, second class or being less qualified or anything like that. But we don't have time 
to address that issue today because that's not addressed in this passage. You see, what the Bible does teach is that women are equal, but that doesn't mean that we are equivalent. This is also true in the home, isn't it? In Ephesians chapter 5, God makes it clear that that just as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is to be the head of his home. Just as Christ lovingly gave himself for his church, the husband is to lovingly give himself for his wife. In other words, God has set apart the man to lead in his home and we are to lead sacrificially, not desiring that our needs are met, but seeking to meet the needs of our wife and our family. Now, some will say that's ridiculous. There are some will say that that is an old-fashioned view that is from an antiquated day. And yet, listen to me, we can't believe the Bible is God's perfect word and yet say that isn't true. We must recognize That even though we are equal, we are both created in the image of God, God has given us different roles to play. Now, with that said, let me stop here and say a word about women in the church. Thank God for women in the church. Because if it were not for women, most churches would have to close their doors. I've seen church after church after church where women are teaching the preschoolers, they're teaching the children, they're teaching the students, they're teaching almost all of the Bible classes. They're doing all of the work while the men are sitting around talking or smoking cigarettes. And it's crazy. And so thank God for women who use their gifts and abilities for the glory of God. You need to understand that God wants you to use those gifts and abilities. God wants you to serve. Now, let's go back to Deborah. Because not only does the Bible say she's a prophet, she speaks for God, which tells us that women can deliver God's message. Not only is she a judge, which means she is leading Israel that time, which tells me that women can be in positions of leadership. It tells me something else about Deborah. And it tells me Deborah's priorities. You see... If you read this passage and the only thing you discover is the giftedness and the abilities of Deborah, you miss out on something very important. And that is Deborah's priorities. You see, though Deborah is the spokesman for God, and though she is the wisest leader of her day, in chapter 4, she is identified as the wife of Labadoth. And in chapter 5, verse 7, she identifies herself as a mother in Israel. Now, this is so important, and don't miss this. Some would say, well, that's just caving into the culture of the day, saying she is the wife of Labadoth. If it was caving into the culture of the day, she would have never been put in the Bible as a prophet and as a judge. This isn't caving into the culture. This is important here. Now, why is it telling us in chapter 4 that she is the wife of Labadoth? Why is it telling us in chapter 5 that she is a mother in Israel? Here's why. Because even though she is gifted like no other in her day, she sees her most important roles as the wife of her husband... And the mother of her children. I want you to listen to me, ladies. 
If you're married or you're married with children, you have no greater role than those two. God may have placed you in a position of power where you are the CEO of your company. You may be the governor of the state. You may be the doctor that saves lives, but nothing can compare to the role that God has given you from the very beginning, and that is to be the helpmate of your husband and the wife or or the mother of your children. Now, is that saying that's all you can do? It's not saying that. It's saying that that is the most important thing. And so women, listen. God has a calling on your life. And you need to discover and fulfill that calling. If it's to be a Deborah that that leads a nation, do it. If it's to be a Deborah that, that speaks forth the truth of God's word, do it. If it's to be a Deborah that is simply the helpmate to her husband and the wife to her or the mother to her children, then do it. Discover God's calling. So praise God for women who use their gifts and abilities for God's glory. By the way, can I say here that Labadoth is the unsung hero in this story? Can you imagine being Labadoth? Married to the woman who is the greatest speaker of God's word in the day. Married to the woman who who is leading Israel to victory over the Canaanites. Can you imagine being Labadoth? Some of you are going, man, I couldn't handle that. Well, that just simply means you're not the man that Labadoth was. You see, Labadoth recognized his wife's giftedness. And I cannot but believe that he encouraged her To use her gifts and abilities for God's glory. And so women are equally as gifted as men. Second thing. It's a good thing when men lead. In chapter 4, verse 6. Deborah is speaking and it says, So she sent for Barak. You see, when God called them to war... Deborah didn't put on her armor. She didn't pick up her shield. She didn't pick up her sword. She didn't lead the troops. She calls Barak. Now, why does she do that? Because in the Hebrew, what it says is, God has already told you this is what you were to do. Now go do it. You see, Deborah recognized that there were some roles that Barak were to play. There were some roles that She was to play. And so when they went to war, she called Barak, who was called of God to do that. And she said, now, go do what God has called you to do. Now, some will say Barak was a coward. Because Barak said, I won't go unless you go. And and let me say to that, that there's no way Barak was a coward. Because Hebrews chapter 11 puts him in the hall of fame of faith. If he was a coward then he certainly wouldn't have been lifted up in Hebrews chapter 11. No, Barak recognized that the power of God was with Deborah. And Barak was a wise man. And he wanted the power of God to be with him. And so he said, I'll be happy to go. But God's with you. And I want you to go with me. Let me tell you. 
There are some spiritual battles that I would not think about fighting if I did not have some godly women along with me. Some women that I know have the heart of God and somehow, some way, it seems like that they've just got this special connection with God. And so if I'm going into battle, I want to make sure that, that I've got my Deborahs around me. And so Barack wasn't a coward. He was just saying, God's with you. I want God to be with us. And so I want you to come and go with us. Now, as we look at chapter 5, we discover Deborah's perspective on men and leadership. Now, notice what it says in verses 1 through 3. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes lead in Israel, when the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, as you read through this passage, it's clear. And most biblical scholars say that it is very clear that, that Deborah is addressing the men of Israel. The word for princes, the word for rulers, the word for kings, they are all in the masculine here. She is addressing the men of Israel. And what she says is this, when the princes lead, when the men lead, people follow and we will praise the Lord. Now listen very carefully. Women are equally gifted and capable in so many ways. But the Bible says it is a good thing when men lead. Every sociological study agrees. And I want you to hear me. And you can look at this and research it. The leadership of the father is the greatest determining factor on how children turn out. The greatest sociological factor for how your children turn out is what kind of father you are. I want you to listen to a, st a statistic that absolutely is staggering. If a child is the first that comes to faith in Jesus, there is a 3.5% chance that the whole family will come to faith. If a mother is the first to come to Jesus, there is a 17% chance that the entire family will come to Jesus. But if the father is the first to come to Jesus, I want you to hear me. There is a 93% chance that the entire family will come to faith in Jesus. Men, did you hear that? I mean, there is no way that we can, that, that we can hear that and not be astounded by the fact that our influence is so important to our family. The first sin, the, the original sin, wasn't when, when Eve took the fruit and, and ate of that forbidden fruit. The first sin, the original sin, occurred when, when Adam was sitting idly by and watched his wife deceived by the serpent. You say, the Bible doesn't say that. Oh, it is crystal clear in Genesis 3. Adam was there with Eve as she was deceived. Adam was the one who received the command from God. You see, the first sin was not the deception of Eve. The first sin was the passivity 
of Adam. Adam sat passively by, didn't lead his family with loving leadership, and sin entered paradise and it corrupted everything. God has called you as a man to lead your family, not to dictate, not to, not to harshly rule. God has called you to lovingly lead your family. And he has taken men as the ones who are to lovingly lead in his army to reach the world. And yet, all too often we as men are sitting passively by. An example of this is figures from the International Mission Board. Over the last five years, over the last five years, when it comes to applicants to the most difficult places in the world, the number of women who are applying for those places outnumber men four to one. Did you hear me? Those applying to the most difficult, the most dangerous, the harsh places where you would think men are going to go, no, we'll go there. No, women are outnumbering men four to one saying, I'll go there and serve. What's the problem? The problem is men are sitting idly by doing nothing. Now, as we look at chapter, or chapter 5, verse 13, we see a list of men and, and tribes, and we see what they did. I want you to look at this with me, beginning in verse 13. It says, then the men who were left came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came to me with the mighty. Some came from Ephraim. Benjamites, Benjamin, excuse me, was with the people who followed you. From Maker, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, rushing after him into the valley. But then I want you to notice what happens. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the campfires to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. The men of Reuben, they, they taught, they contemplated going, they discussed it, but then they decided to stay home. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and, and Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Dan and Asher, they decided to stay with their boats, their, their jobs, their businesses, rather than going and help. But then notice what it says. The people of Zebulun, they risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the heights of the field. When it's all said and done, men, listen to me. When it's all said and done and you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, will it be evident that you went into battle fighting for your family, fighting for your wife, fighting for your children, being the spiritual leader that God has called you to be? Or will it be evident that you have sat back by the campfire or you have been too caught up in work to spiritually lead your family? Men... It's time to step up. It's time to man up for our Lord. It's time to man up for our families. So women are just as gifted and capable as men. It's a good thing when men lead. Third, it's a dangerous thing to sit on the sidelines. Look at verse 23 of chapter 5. Curse morose, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Now don't miss this. God cursed them for doing nothing. You see, sitting on the sidelines will not only rob you of rewards, 
sitting on the sidelines will put you in danger of a curse. Now, this speaks to those who who see Sunday morning as your spiritual event. You come to Sunday morning, then you go out and you never do anything else. You're sitting on the sidelines letting other people fight the battle. And so ask yourself, are you using your time and your talents and your treasures to bring glory to God? Don't convince yourself that you're okay because you're coming to church and you're not doing immoral things. Wickedness comes not only from what we do, Wickedness also comes from what we don't do. There are sins of commission, things that we do, and there are sins of omission, things that God expects us to do that we don't do. But we've got to move on. The fourth truth is this. All God expects is faithful obedience. We're told in Deborah's song, if you read that song, that there was not a spear or shield found in Israel. And yet God commanded Israel to go against this well-trained army with 800 chariots and and tons of foot soldiers. Now, can I tell you that a well-trained army with chariots will defeat an army of farmers and an army of fishermen who don't have weapons every time? Every time? At least that's what we say. And yet when God commands us to do something, it's not our job to to rationally try and figure out whether the task is possible. Our job is faithful obedience. There may be some of you that, that God has spoken clearly as you've read through his word. You need to start tithing. And yet you're saying to yourself, I can't afford to. God says it's not your job to figure it out. It's your job to be faithfully obedient to me. There are some of you that, that are not serving and God's speaking to your heart. And, and you know you need to serve in preschool or in the children or the students ministry. Or, or you need to volunteer with your life group. And, and what you're saying is this. I'm just not gifted or, or I'm not equipped. That's not your job. Your job is to faithfully obey what God tells you to do. There there are some of you who God is calling to go on a mission trip, maybe to go on the mission field. There are some of you that God's just tugging your heart to get involved and, and make a difference to flood relief victims. And you're going, but I don't know what I can do. Well, don't worry about that. Volunteer to do something because all God's telling you is I want you to faithfully obey, trust and obey. For there's no other way that we're going to ever be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, the fifth truth is where it gets good. God precedes us in battle. Now, as we read chapter 4, we discover multiple times that it says God will give you victory. God will go before you. Now, don't miss this. Whenever we walk in faithful obedience, God goes before us, setting the stage for us. When I was first trained to share my faith through a process called CWT, Continuing Witness Training, one of the things that they taught is that we pray that God empowers us. We pray that God opens the heart of the person that we're sharing with. But then we trust that God is going before us, preparing the way. 
Because if we really do believe that God isn't willing that any perish but all come to repentance, then we've got to believe that God is going to be working in people's lives. He's going to go before us preparing the way. And that's what God did here. God went before the people and gave them a great victory. But how did he do it? Now, this is the crazy thing. I want you to look at chapter 5. In verses 4 and 5, it says this. O Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Eden, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down the water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. Then it says in verse 19 and following, kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo, but they carried off no silver, no plunder. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon, march on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horses' hooves, galloping, galloping, going his mighty steeds. You see what happened, and history confirms this is God sent a sudden, unexpected rainstorm. Now, what's miraculous is it was the dry season. Sisera, a trained military man, would have never gone and fought in the Kishon Valley by the Kishon River if it was during the rainy season. Because chariots of iron are going to get stuck in muddy ground. But it was the dry season. No rain was in sight. It hadn't rained in a while. It was the time to bring out the big guns. And so they brought the iron chariots. And when they got there to the Kishon Valley at the river, the bottom fell out. God brought a flood. What was a tactical advantage became a tactical disadvantage. They were stuck in the mud and they began to panic. And as they panicked, they turned on one another and the forces of God, God's army, the Israelites came in there and absolutely destroyed them. You see, God went before them preparing the way. Now, what about Sisera? It looks like that he was going to escape. But as we read in chapter 4, we read of Heber, who was a descendant of Moses' family, had decided that he didn't want to camp with the Israelites anymore, and so he went out by himself, and he was on friendly terms with this king. And so Sisera went to a place where he thought he would find solace. He thought he would find security. But little did he know that even though Jael's husband was a compromiser. Jael was a woman of God. And when she saw Sisera running on foot, she knew that he had been defeated. And she thought to herself, now is the time to get even. Now is the time to bring justice to this ruthless person. And when she brought him in, and she didn't feed him water, she fed him warm milk. That made him sleepy. And then she covered him with a blanket. And said go to sleep. Go to sleep. Go to sleep big old soldier. And he went to sleep. 
And she took that tent peg and she took that hammer and it's gruesome. She nailed him through the head and staked him to the ground. You see, God was working behind the scenes to give victory. But one final thing, and we've got to hurry. And that is God's judgment will come. I want to read this to you in Judges 5, verses 24 and following. And then just tell you a couple of things about it. We'll be through. It says, Most blessed of women, Bejael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women, he asked for water and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached out for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell, where he sank, there he fell, dead. Through the wind appeared Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice, she cried out, Why is this chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answered her, Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoils, a girl or two for each man? In other words, what they're doing is they're getting all the pillage, they're getting all the plunder, and they're raping the women. That's what his mother is assuming. Well, they've won this victory. And now they're bringing all the spoils back. And now they're just having a fun with all of these women. But notice what it says. It says, the colorful garments is plundered for sister. Colorful garments embroidered. Highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this is plunder. But then it says, so may all your enemies perish, O Lord. But may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace for for 40 years. Now in that day it was a woman's responsibility to put up the tent. That was one of the things that she did and you know in our day we think goodness gracious why did they ask her to do that? That seems like a man's job but that's just one of the cultural things that that day the women would put up the tent. So she was skilled with a tent peg and a hammer. And so when she got the opportunity to nail him in the head she took it. Here was a man who had plundered, plundered and pillaged Israel for years. Here was a man who had a reputation of raping and taking advantage of women. And he was put to death by the hands of a woman with a tent peg. You see, God's justice comes. It does. At the end of that song, it says, may all the wicked experience your judgment. And let me tell you, it will happen one day, someday, the wicked will be judged. Now, you may be here today and, and you've, been, you've been done wrong to. Somebody has, has taken advantage of you. There, there may be some ladies here who have been raped or date raped or something else. You've been treated horribly. Let me tell you, judgment is coming one day. It will come. God's judgment is sure. God's judgment is certain. And that judgment is going to come in one of two places. It's going to either come on the cross of Christ, where all sin was judged, and all mankind can be forgiven. It's crazy, isn't it? Or it comes at that great white throne judgment when our sins are revealed, and we're thrown into the lake of fire. 
You see, every one of us have our sins judged. Some of us who have humbled ourselves and called upon Jesus had our sins judged on the cross. And and through that, Jesus has changed our life. There are others of us who say, I don't need God. I'm, I'm more than willing to stand before Him on my own merits. Well, you don't want to do that. Because when you stand before Jesus, every sin will be revealed and and it will be shown that you're not near as good as you thought you were. So judgment is sure. Are you ready? So let's review and we're going to close up. Women are just as gifted and capable as men. God wants you to use your gifts and abilities and use them. Teach God's word. Lead. God's given you gifts use them. But it's a good thing when men lead. God has created us with different roles and different responsibilities. And and even statistics show that when men lead in their families the way God has called them to lead, the family goes better. So man up. Let's lead like God told us to lead. It's a dangerous thing to sit on the sidelines. It's not enough just to come to church and soak it in and then go home and think you've done what God's called you to do. God wants you to use your gifts, your abilities to build his kingdom. It's not only a dangerous thing to sit on the sidelines. You can be cursed when you don't serve. You need to serve God. God goes before us in battle. When God calls us to do something, he'll go before us if we faithfully obey And judgment is coming. And as we close, the most important thing for us right here, right now, for this moment, is the very last thing. Judgment's coming. So are you ready? If you're here and you're not, then I want to encourage you right here, right now, to humble yourself before Almighty God. Let the Holy Spirit come into your life and change you. Let Jesus give you the gift of eternal life. Let your sins be judged on Calvary's cross. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes with me? With every head bowed, with every eye closed, I want you to pray this prayer if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. Dear Jesus, I come to you today asking you to forgive me. I know that my best is not good enough. I need a Savior. I don't want to stand before your judgment without knowing my sins have been forgiven. And so I'm trusting you today to save me, to forgive me. Come into my heart and life. Take control, I pray. Amen.